Please note, this episode discusses sexual assault and child abuse. While not explicit, listener discretion is advised. Words are hard and inadequate. Trying to type through this pain is difficult. The last few months have been hard. The last week has been excruciating. Losing our precious Tylee and JJ in this horrific way is more than we can bear. I have a tremendous amount of gratitude to all of the law enforcement that have worked so hard to find Tylee and JJ. When I first heard that remains had been found, I immediately felt the need to pray for those who found them, and I continue to pray for those who were on the scene, remove the remains, and have to analyze them to try to piece together what those poor babies endured. I feel for those who do this work, and I am so grateful that they are willing to do this, to help bring peace and closure to families. I am also grateful to the Woodcocks for ordering the wellness check. I pray for them to have peace and comfort as well. My mother has been here with me the past few days and we both feel the same about this. I feel so incredibly grateful to all of our friends and family and even the strangers that have reached out to offer their love and support. I have leaned on them more than they know. We have prayed for the truth to come to light, but we never thought it would look like this. Believe me when I say, this has looked very different from my perspective than what the public has seen. It's easy to jump on a bandwagon when you don't personally know all the people involved. When you have been up close and personal, you can't discount your own interactions and just go by what everyone else says and thinks. I know there are people waiting for me to admit I was wrong. If that's all you want to know, here it is. I was wrong. I am an extremely imperfect person that loves my family with all of my heart and I wanted to believe the best in them and I held out hope for the best possible outcome. I have always said things truthfully as I understood them and will continue to do that as I learn new information. While I am nowhere close to perfect, I strive to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to show love to everyone regardless of their imperfections. I do not find any joy in condemning people or in the mob mentality. There is no joy in finding out about my precious niece and nephew. And while I have moments of extreme anger, right now there is so much sorrow and hurt that I can't even fully process all of it. The last thing I want to do is perpetuate more hate. There is already too much of that in this world. I am praying for healing for all of those who knew and loved Tai Tai and JJ, even those who didn't know them, but have been hurt by this news. I pray for healing for all who need it, especially those who choose to lash out in anger over this. I pray for them especially as I know when you are in pain from your own life circumstances, it is easy to act out in anger. I am trying my best not to do that. It is going to take time to work through all of these emotions and all of this grief, but I have experienced the healing power of the atonement of Jesus Christ in my life many times, and I have great hope and faith that He can heal all those who turn to Him for comfort. Tylee and JJ are completely irreplaceable in our family. I have loved them greatly all of their lives. There are no words that can capture this loss. Words are just inadequate. We have dozens of Tylee and JJ stories that we love and share frequently. We had prayed our hearts out for them and hoped with all of our hearts they were safe, but we sadly have to face this new reality and our family will never ever be the same. Sadly, there is no way to go back and undo what has been done. 
We can only go forward as much as we miss them here. I know my beautiful Tai Tai and precious JJ are in a beautiful place with people they love. I am going to do my best to help what's left of my family to honor Tai Tai and JJ by putting our trust in our Savior, Jesus Christ, by trying to show an abundance of love and kindness and look into ways of helping victims of abuse, children suffering from chronic illnesses, and children on the autism spectrum. Love you forever, Tylee and JJ. Summer Cox Shiflet, June 21st, 2020. Last week, we ended our episode with a determined phone call made by Melanie Gibb to Lori and Chad Daybell in December of 2019. On December 30th, Rexburg PD issued a press release surrounding the disappearance of JJ and Tylee while addressing the newlyweds and their mountain of lies. This release was read in a prior episode. As we move into the year 2020, Please note that we will be referencing back to prior dates due to new information being released to the public. And with that, I am your host, Celine Beth Calderon, and this is part two of Lori Vallow Daybell. How can everyone be so calm and, you know, seemingly so unaffected? That's Tylee's aunt, Annie Cushing. She believes that what Lori and Cox told police was a cover-up. And because the children were witnesses, that's why they're missing. I do wonder with Tylee, if she was asked to toe the line to keep everyone out of prison. On January 4th, Kay and Larry Woodcock made their way to Rexburg to participate in the investigation of JJ and Tylee. Quote, I don't have any expectations. I've never done this before. I have no idea. I just feel like I need to be in Idaho, and I'd love Chad and Lori to be arrested. Have her in one room and Chad in the other? Absolutely. Kay and Larry would then interview with Salt Lake City's Fox 13 News, Larry went on to comment about their frustration and sadness with the doomsday couple, quote, We have cried until there's not much left to cry. The hole that Lori and Chad are digging just keeps getting deeper. If I could just have JJ back one more time, please, God, give it to me one time. If he's not with us anymore, just tell me that. Additionally, another excerpt from Charles's divorce filing was revealed in this interview. The excerpt read, Mother Lori Vallow has recently become infatuated at times obsessive about near-death experiences and spiritual visions. Mother has told Father Charles Vallow that she is sealed eternally married to the ancient Book of Mormon prophet Moroni and that she has lived numerous lives on numerous planets prior to this current life. Mother also believes that she was married to James the Just in a past life and also lived as Mary French in the 1800s, who was Joseph Smith Jr.'s natural grandmother. Mother also informed Father that she is a translated being who cannot taste death sent by God to lead the 144,000 into the millennium. 
Mother believes that she is receiving spiritual revelations and visions to help her gather and prepare those chosen to live in the New Jerusalem after the Great War as prophesied in the Book of Revelations. Kay would go on to say that she and Larry would often ask Charles if he could overcome Lori's religious beliefs and attempt to save the marriage. She also revealed Charles made recordings of Lori and saying, quote, Charles told me he had recordings of her. He said, nobody will believe me, and he recorded her one night. Even though it's deleted, nothing is ever deleted electronically or whatever. However, that is, for her to say she's a translated being and she is reincarnated, that is scary. Larry recounted of Charles, Some nights, he'd called me just crying like a baby, and it hurt my soul. Kay mentioned that she always loved Lori as a sister, but would later believe that she was having an affair with Chad Daybell. She noticed Lori's behavior changed dramatically after she met him. She recalled the last time she and Lori had an in-person conversation where she revealed Charles was her fourth husband, saying, quote, She's a black widow. Husband three and husband four are dead. Five? He's next. How's he gonna go? I don't know, but I wouldn't sleep with my eyes closed. Kay would also go on to say that she believed Lori and Chad may have taken JJ and Tylee because they witnessed Charles's murder. A couple days later, on January 6th, Kay and Larry sat down with the Rexburg PD to assist with their investigation. The next day, the Woodcocks announced a $20,000 reward for information to assist with the recovery of JJ and Tylee. Meanwhile, in Kauai, Chad and Lori were laying low, but locals did spot them around the island. During the next few days, Melanie Pulowski would be interviewed by law enforcement, Matt Daybell would release his statement about his brother and the missing children, and the surveillance video from Yellowstone National Park would be obtained by Rexburg PD. On January 21st, law enforcement served a search warrant to the couple in the parking lot of the beach resort. The warrant was for the vehicle they were renting, as well as their condo. The Kauai PD obtained the following items. Tylee and JJ's birth certificates, Tylee's debit card, JJ's iPad, another iPad logged into JJ's Apple account, and JJ's school registration receipts from Rexburg. Furthermore, Tylee's debit card was still active and had been used since her disappearance, and above all, no signs of the children. By January 25th, Lori and Chad's newlywed bliss would start to diminish when Lori was served with a child protection order from Madison County, Idaho. This protection order required her to produce her children to the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare by January 30th. On September 3, 2020, Fox 10 in Phoenix released body cam footage of Lori being served the search warrant in the parking lot. Her demeanor was cold and emotionless. Around this time frame, Nate Eaton from East Idaho News flew to Kauai to confront Lori and Chad about Tylee and JJ's whereabouts. As you'll hear, Nate directed questions to Lori. Lori, Nate Eaton with East Idaho News. Can you tell me where your kids are? Where are your kids? No comment. No comment? They've been missing for four months. You have nothing to say? You're over here in Hawaii? Where are your children? Yeah, why don't you just give us a comment? Just tell us where they are. Chad, where are Lori's kids? What happened to Tammy, Chad? Can you tell us what happened to Tammy? 
Why have you guys been in Hawaii for so long? Listen, just tell people what's happening. There's people around the country praying for your children, praying for you guys. Why don't you give us answers? That's great. That's great. That's great that they're praying for you, praying for your kids, what? On January 29th, the Woodcocks would file an emergency guardianship of JJ back in Rexburg. On that same day, the Daybells would ditch their pricey condo and move into a beach resort. But January 30th quickly arrived and Lori failed to produce the children to Idaho authorities. She did, however, retain the services of Kauai attorney Daniel Hempe. Back in Idaho, law enforcement was not slowing down and quickly began ramping up their interviews and discovery to make their next move. Lori, on the other hand, was still living life as if the Idaho court system wouldn't follow up after failing to produce the children, meaning she requested to have her church records transferred to her local Mormon ward on the island. Lori's records were the only ones requested even though Chad attended church, but he was also recently excommunicated from the LDS religion. And of course, Tylee and JJ's records were not requested either. Again, Lori continued accessing JJ's school account from Chandler, Arizona, but after February 4th, the school disabled his account after noticing her random logins. It was announced on February 10th that during one of the search warrants, Tylee's cell phone was discovered in Lori's possession. Madison County Prosecuting Attorney's Office submitted a criminal complaint against Lori on February 18th. The complaint alleged a total of five crimes, including two felonies and three misdemeanors. There would be two felony counts of desertion and non-support of dependent children, resisting or obstructing officers, criminal solicitation to commit a crime, and contempt of court. Additionally, a search warrant was served for the Rexburg Storage Unit. All of the items inside of the unit were then removed. February 20th, Lori Vallow Daybell was officially arrested by the Kauai Police Department. She was held on a $5 million bond while awaiting extradition back to Idaho. Lori Vallow, the woman at the center of an Idaho missing children's case that's making headlines around the world, remains in custody on the island of Kauai in Hawaii on $5 million bail. This hour, Kauai police are holding a news conference about the case, and we're going to go to that live right now. Uh, back in December of 2019, the Kauai Police Department was contacted by the Rexburg Police Department requesting our assistance to see if we could locate Lori Vallow and her husband, Chad Daybell. Uh, we were able to identify that they were here on the island. Subsequently, the uh, police department, Rexburg Police Department, uh, requested our assistance in providing a order to compel Lori Vallow to produce her children in Madison County. The Kauai Police Department did in fact find and produce that order to compel. And as you all know, she subsequently failed to do so. Lori appeared in court the next day with her attorney, who requested her $5 million bail be reduced to $10,000, stating, quote, We are sitting here with a couple felonies and misdemeanors and a half a million dollar bail. Judge Kathleen Watanabe kept Lori's bail at $5 million with an extradition hearing for March 2nd. She was then booked into the Kauai Community Correctional Center. Lori would then try to have her bail lowered again, which was denied. She also waived her right to an extradition hearing, meaning she would shortly return to Idaho. Lori was extradited to Rexburg on March 5th and was placed in the custody of Madison County. 
Additionally, her new Idaho attorneys requested several documents from the prosecuting attorney's office, such as warrants, court orders, unredacted police records, and dispatch tapes. As the news spread of Lori's first hearing in Rexburg on March 6, hundreds of people gathered around the courthouse to see if they could catch a glimpse of the now-incarcerated mother. Among those hundred, a few key individuals made their way into the courtroom. Larry and Kay walked in wearing beautiful Hawaiian lays in honor of JJ and Tylee, while Colby and his wife came hand in hand. Eyes were then fixated on the next individual to make his way into the courtroom, who then sat behind Mrs. Daybell. And yes, she asked the judge to be called Mrs. Daybell. As Chad sat behind his wife, she would every so often turn and smile at him. Many onlookers watched in disgust, including the family members of the children. In this hearing, Lori's bail was reduced to $1 million by Magistrate Judge Farron Eddins. It was also revealed that Lori continued to receive Social Security benefits for both kids after she left Idaho without them. After the hearing was over, the family members watched as Lori was escorted out of the courtroom. As the family got up to leave, Colby fixated his eyes on Chad and gave him a look of anger, and rightfully so. Media and onlookers would then rush to the front of the courthouse to hear the thoughts and sentiments of the family. Hey guys. Hey, hey, guys. Everybody please you? be careful. What was it like seeing Lori again, sir? Mm -hmm. It was a different feeling. Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't know whether to cry or to be happy, and I, I felt sorry for Laurie. I felt sorry for her children, I, I, but I'm, I'm happy that justice is being performed. I, I feel like that we have a long ways to go. This is a marathon. The race is not 100 yards. This is a long-term project. We all can somewhat remember the Casey Anthony case. I parallel that to this, except I think it's it's a bigger case by far than that case. Uh, I want to thank the media for all the support that y'all have given us in trying to find the children. This is what this is all about. It's not, it's not whether I like Lori, it's not whether I like Chad. This is about finding two children. I want everybody, please, to keep that in mind in everything we do. Please, it's about two children. I don't care what the judicial system does or doesn't do to Lori, but I do care about what has happened to Laura, uh, to uh, Tylee and to JJ. I guess all of y'all are aware of the fact of how much I love that little boy. He is my heart. He is my grandson. Tylee is not my blood, but I love her just like she's mine. Tylee is welcome in our home at any time. If Tylee chooses to come live with us, she will be welcome and she will be, she will be a part of our family. That's all we're asking for is just where are the kids? It has nothing to do with anything else. If Lori gets free tomorrow, she's free. But tell us where the kids are. 
That's all I want to know. Tell us where the kids are. And any more than that, it's just simply putting on the cake. So I thank everybody for being here. Uh, we just want to, to, let's keep praying that we can find those kids and we can get them back home. Kay, what'd you think when Lori walked in? Did you come forward? Nothing. I mean, it's Lori and that's it. Just Lori. Just Lori. Just looked like she did the last time I saw her. Just a little older. Just like the same way. I'm sure I do. <laughs> same way. But so, uh, I do want to tell y'all that these lays and these are rubber, ones for JJ and ones for Kylie. Yeah. So we can give them to them when we get them back. But this is showing our support from Hawaii. I know y'all all have it too, but we won't let it Hawaii know that we also know we have their support as well as mainland. Let's keep it in front of the, the public, guys. Without y'all's help, this would not be where we're at today. I love every one of you. I thank every one of you. And I, I just want to tell you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's find JJ. Let's find Tyler. Sooner or later, they're going to have to say something. Something sooner or later. Yeah, she can't continue to hide. She cannot continue to hide from this. Colby, can you just tell me, seeing your mother, did she look at you in the eye? Did you look at her? Um, that's probably one of the hardest things you ever would see. Uh, just seeing her and trying to walk eyes, just trying to get a connection to your own mom, knowing she doesn't have the kids for a long time. And it was really hard. It was really Real. My whole plan is to visit with her. I want to see her. I want to get in front of her. Obviously, she's my mom, and I'm very concerned about my siblings. So that's really what it's about. What would you say to her if you could say something right now? My first question is going to be, where is Tyler and JJ? Are you still searching for more true crime content to listen to? Audible.com has everything you've been looking for. From audiobooks, podcasts, theatrical performances, and Audible originals, you are bound to find your next great listen. With my Audible monthly subscription, I get to binge some of the greatest true crime audiobooks out there, like I'll Be Gone in the Dark by the late Michelle McNamara, Stay Sexy and Don't Get Murdered by Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hartstark, Chase Darkness with Me by Billy Jensen, or one of my absolute favorites, The Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule. Audible has thousands of options for you. And trust me, there is something there for everyone. You can get a free Audible trial now by visiting audibletrial.com slash the chosen ones. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash the chosen ones. As one would expect, Lori began exploring bail bond options, but these companies were hesitant to assist her. One of the company owners spoke with EastIdahoNews.com and said, quote, It's not about the money. I told her I don't want to write the bond. I'd rather just have this go away if she would provide where the kids are located. If she could provide that assurance and proof of life, this goes away. On September 8th, East Idaho News released an interview with a former inmate that revealed what Lori was like in jail during her initial days. An anonymous source recalled the arrival of Lori at the Madison County Jail, saying, quote, Everybody in the jail was talking about how Lori was coming back from Hawaii, and we wondered if we'd be able to see her. 
So I'm sitting in the pod and in walks two or three guards with her. They were very nice and she was nice. She walked in with her stripes on, but she also had a bulletproof vest on. I had never seen another inmate like that. In regards to the media attention, the source had this to say, quote, she was totally aware of all of it. She said, we have the death of Kobe Bryant and COVID, but no, that's me. I'm the lead story. I'm more important than all that stuff. She knew she was the main story and she liked it. During her request to reduce her bail, Lori would meet with her lawyers and the source said, quote, I remember before one of those meetings, she ran her fingers from her head down her body and said, we will see if all of this is worth $1 million. On March 11th, both Madison County prosecuting attorney Rob Wood and Lori's attorneys requested to have her March 18th and 19th preliminary hearing moved to May 7th and 8th in order to have more time to exchange and review information. This request was granted. That same day, Mark Means filed a motion to disqualify Magistrate Judge Eddins without listing a reason. Rob Wood objected to the motion, but in the end, Judge Eddins disqualified himself. He was replaced by Judge Michelle Radford Mallard for Lori's preliminary hearing. Down in Salt Lake City, Utah, the FBI, Rexburg PD, and additional law enforcement began to coordinate, review, and share information about Lori and the kids. Back in Rexburg, Colby connected with Lori and pleaded with her to do the right thing. Her only response was to say she loved him. Colby described it as an emotional conversation, but no information regarding the location of Tylee and JJ was gathered. The anonymous source that spoke about her time with Lori recalled this exact conversation. Quote, she told Colby to read Job, a book in the Old Testament, and he would understand. She said she was being tested like Job. She would say, Colby, just listen to me. Everyone wants to know, but it's none of their business. God doesn't judge me, and they shouldn't judge me. The prophet says to stay off social media, so don't go on there. March 16th arrived, and two of Lori's defense attorneys, Brian Reb and Edwina Alcox, withdrew their services. Additionally, the prosecution turned over roughly 1,600 pages of documents and a 14.6 gigabyte of videos, photos, and other electronic media to the defense. On March 24th, it was reported by Fox 10 reporter Justin Lum that Chandler PD is confident that they are getting close to indicting Lori for her involvement in the shooting of Charles Vallow. It was then reported again on August 6th that Chandler PD is close to submitting charges to the Maricopa County Attorney's Office, with one of the charges being conspiracy to commit murder. Lum did state this could be six months or more for those charges to come to light. On April 2nd, Lori's defense attorney, Mark Means, requested all of the records relating to the following individuals. Adam Cox, Charles Vallow, Alex Cox, Kay Woodcock, Larry Woodcock, Brandon Boudreaux, Melanie Pulowski, Melanie Gibb, Chad Daybell's parents, Tammy Daybell's sister and brother-in-law, Summer Cox Shiflett, Detective Hope, Matt and Heather Daybell, as well as various individuals whom we have not disclosed. Lori yet again requested to have her bail reduced from $1 million to $10,000 on April 7th. The prosecution objected, stating, quote, the defendant has yet to comply with the valid court order to produce her children in the related child protection action. A bond hearing was eventually held on May 1st, with the request being denied once again. 
It was announced on April 10th that the investigation of Chad and Lori's involvement regarding the death of Tammy Daybell would be taken over by the Idaho Attorney General's office. Specifically, the couple is being investigated for conspiracy, attempted murder, and murder. Fremont County Prosecuting Attorney Marsha Murdoch requested the Attorney General's assistance. On May 6, Lori's mother and sister spoke out to Arizona family in Lori's defense, claiming that the children were still alive and that Lori would never harm them. All she'd need to do was show proof that the kids are alive and are well. Can you understand why she's refusing to do that? You know, it seems simple. It did to me. That's Janice Cox is Lori Vallow's mother. She says she doesn't understand all of the reasons for Lori's actions. But she doesn't believe her daughter could have gone from doting mother to cold-blooded child killer. All I know is the woman that she is. I did not see any great change in Lori. Have you asked your sister where the kids are? No. I've talked to her a couple of times. Uh, Summer Shiflet is Lori's sister. She says Lori has spoken to her from jail. And she said to me, you know me, and you know I've always taken care of my kids, and I do know that. Are you defending Lori because she's your daughter and she's your sister, or are you defending her because you really think that she did nothing wrong? We really think that she did nothing wrong. I, she's had some bad judgment. She's married a few men that we didn't care for. She'll be the first to say that yeah, she's, she's made, made a lot of mistakes and she's paid high prices for those mistakes. So what is the scenario that Tylee and JJ are still alive? Well, to us, we believe they are because we know Lori. And that's, we have seen her dedication. Are they in a bunker somewhere? Are they with friends? Where do you think they are? We don't know. We wish we, we, wish we knew. We don't know. But we also don't know what Lori has been through. She was being threatened. She was being followed. Who was threatening her? Well, um, Kay was threatening her. Um, and her brothers. They're very upset about Charles's death. There was a lot of threats made to Lori. The following day, Larry and Kay responded to the Cox family interview. Janice Cox and Summer Shiflet levied some pretty harsh accusations against Charles Vallow and his family. And so for that part of the story, we're going to go to Kim Powell with reaction from them. On August 10th, the month after Charles Vallow was killed at Lori Vallow's Chandler home in a so-called self-defense shooting, Kay Woodcock, his sister, sent this email to Lori, thanking her for letting them speak to JJ over FaceTime. She goes on to offer flying to Phoenix to spend time with JJ, maybe a trip to the zoo or an arcade. Kay never heard back. Fifteen days later, she sent another short email saying, I'll do anything in order to see him. I was trying to keep reaching out to her, reaching out to her, reaching out to her. Please let me talk to JJ. Let us see JJ. Whatever it takes, let us, let us see him. And on October 14th, a final email is sent saying no need to cut him out of our lives. This situation can be managed civilly. Signed with, please tell him we love him. She should have been worried more about being threatened by the police because I, I know I, in every email I sent, I think I got ugly one or two times in those emails after a little while. I'm like, come on, this is enough. Stop. 
And let's, we need to see JJ. Lori's family also claims that they heard JJ on a phone call on October 1st, entirely in late September, slightly off from the timeline that police have. Law enforcement is who I believe. The FBI is who I believe. Rexburg Police Department is who I believe. As far as what Summer and Janice said, totally, totally irrelevant. It brings absolutely nothing to this case. Kay and Larry say they haven't heard from Lori's side of the family throughout the investigation and wonder why now. You want to do something? Call us. Let's sit down. Let's have a meeting. Let's figure out where those kids are. Let's be adults. Let's be a, yeah, please. On May 25th, a candlelight vigil was held on behalf of JJ for his eighth birthday. The event took place at his school in Rexburg and was organized by a loving community member, Janice Summers. Janice is someone who continues to support and honor the lives of JJ and Tylee and was recognized in an article written by East Idaho News. Assistant Chief Gary Hagan went on to say, quote, We can't express enough how appreciative we are for all of the officers, the community, family members, and news media outlets near and far who have dedicated thousands of hours in the search of JJ and Tylee, and that will continue to do so until we have resolve in this case. We continue to hope and pray for the safe return of both of these beautiful children each and every day. We urge the public to continue to be vigilant for JJ and Tylee. Fifteen days later, JJ and Tylee's bodies were found on Chad Daybell's property. Chad was then taken into custody. A few hours later, new charges were filed against Lori for two counts of conspiracy to commit destruction, alteration, or concealment of evidence. On June 10th, Tylee's aunt and Joseph Ryan's sister, Annie, issued a statement in saying, quote, Thank you for the overwhelming outpouring of love for JJ and Tylee throughout this crisis. My family and I eagerly await the results of the identification of the remains and autopsies, but have hope that there will be a resolution and closure in the near future. As sad and taxing as this protracted investigation has been, I've been deeply touched by the heartfelt expressions of grief, kindness, and support throughout this process. Tylee and JJ won the hearts of people all across the globe. I've seen and have been impacted by both the worst and best of humanity. Hopefully, goodness and justice will win out in the end. We ask for privacy in this difficult time. That same day, Kay and Larry arrived in Idaho and made their way to the Daybell property where the children were found. Later, they would attend the vigils held by community members. June 19th, the affidavit was released to the public and East Idaho News obtained a copy. In the report, police learned about a possible motive for the death of Tylee provided by Melanie Gibb. At some point, Lori had told Melanie that Tylee had become a zombie due to her becoming dark and her spirit leaving her body. The affidavit stated, quote, Gibb was on the phone with Lori and heard Lori call Tylee a zombie, to which Tylee responded, Not me, Mom. This arose out of Lori requiring Tylee to babysit JJ, and Tylee did not want to. Lori Vallow also told Gibb that Tylee had turned into a zombie when she was 12 or 13, which was approximately the same time Tylee had become difficult to deal with. On June 30th, Lori appeared in court via Zoom in regards to her new charges. The Woodcocks and Colby were also present in the virtual hearing. At one point, Judge Eddins began talking about Tylee, to which Lori became emotional. 
She was seen wiping her eyes with a tissue. However, her emotions were limited when he discussed JJ. As the months continue on, more information about Lori and Chad come to light. From numerous acquaintances to former friends, more interviews were given about the doomsday couple. At the end of June, Lori's former friend, April Raymond, interviewed with Nancy Grace about the Vallows. Let me first bring your attention to our interview with April, since she recalled that Tylee seemed to always be sick with a lot of health issues. Tylee spent a lot of time in her room recovering from surgeries and procedures, which were performed to find out what was causing the problem, and as we mentioned in our last episode, social workers and her therapists were concerned about Lori's caretaking and Tylee's constant medical visitations. April expressed her concern about Tylee's health issues and thinks Lori may have medically abused her for years. Or, in other words, Munchausen syndrome by proxy, which is a mental health problem in which a caregiver makes up or causes an illness or injury in a person under his, they, or her care, such as a child, an elderly adult, or a person who has a disability. Because vulnerable people are the victims, MSBP is a form of child abuse or elder abuse. Nancy Grace also interviewed reporter Nate Eaton and Chad's former friend, Julie Rowe. Nate would go on to say that Tammy Daybell had a $400,000 life insurance policy that Chad cashed out after her death. This is believed to be the source of income Lori and Chad were living off of in Hawaii. Julie Rowe, on the other hand, stated Chad used to flirt with her and believed she was one of his past wives. However, she made a claim against Daybell, saying he sexually assaulted her in December 2018 during an energy healing session. She mentioned Chad forcibly kissed her before rubbing his genitals against her body while they were clothed. Quote, I had no idea that he was going to do what he did to me, and I felt very betrayed. I felt used, abused, manipulated. I felt betrayed, and it was awful. Julie also revealed that Chad also believed he was married to Melanie Gibb in a past life. As of today, Gibb has not made any mention of this claim. In early July, Nate Eaton had an interview with Utah's Morning Zoo on 97.1 ZHT discussing the Vallow and Daybell case. He went on to reveal that Lori and Chad spent hours on the phone and video chatting prior to his arrest. Chad would lie to Lori saying the public was on her side and rooting for her and this would be all over soon. Nate made his way back to 97.1 after Chad's preliminary hearing in early August. Eaton referenced the phone call between Melanie Gibb and the couple, but also revealed there are more recordings that will be played at the trial. He believes these recordings will reveal more about Lori's involvement with the murders and that the public is only aware of 20 to 30% of the information law enforcers have against her. He also believes Lori's defense team may argue trauma in her early life and give reasoning as to why she's done the things she has done. He mentioned that the prosecuting team was weary that either Chad or Lori's team would plea insanity, but in the state of Idaho, they do not recognize insanity as a defense. However, if one is not fit for trial, then the individual would be placed in a mental health facility and the trial would resume when the defendant is mentally stable. As we mentioned in part two of Chad Daybell, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints issued a letter titled Involvement in Legal Proceedings on August 4th. Lori's attorney, Mark Means, issued a rebuttal to this letter, stating in part, quote, 
by the way of issuing this correspondence on the second day of a preliminary hearing, the LDS Church has told approximately 26% of the residents of the state of Idaho to contact church legal counsel to enter into a code of silence and to only discuss their potential knowledge of this case and any other civil or criminal case after filtering said knowledge through the lens that is the LDS Church. These LDS residents make up possible jury pool members, witnesses, judges, prosecutors, police officers, detectives, deputies, police chiefs, captains, and other elected and non-elected officials throughout the state of Idaho. By way of this correspondence and undoubtedly being read by the LDS pulpit, the LDS Church has tainted the court's ability for full disclosure by LDS witnesses, evidence, procurement, jury pool, and the like. That in turn affects our guaranteed basic fundamental of right to an impartial jury and the lawful and controlling presumption of innocence until proven guilty. This policy is at least disturbing and at worst criminal. Ironically, the spokesperson for the LDS Church, Mr. Penrod, stated to KSTU Fox 13 that the LDS Church just doesn't want to get involved in these matters. By way of sending this correspondence to all leaders and members on said day cited above, the LDS Church is now directly, unnecessarily, and undoubtedly involved. Days prior to Lori's prelim on August 10th and 11th, she opted to waive her hearing and move to her arraignment. On September 10th, Lori appeared in court where she pleaded not guilty to the two felony counts of conspiracy to commit destruction, alteration, or concealment of evidence. A pretrial conference is scheduled for February 25th, 2021, with a jury trial beginning on March 22nd and concluding on April 2nd. Now, if you've made it this far into our series, you know that I leave out my beliefs and commentary about the case. However, these episodes on Lori has not only left me with anger and frustration, but a permanent lump in my throat when I think about these voiceless victims. I just have one thing I would like to read to her, but it actually is something she wrote. Only, I've adjusted it to reflect what Charles Vallow was pleading in February 2019. Lori Vallow deprived me of my clothes, my personal belongings for me and my baby, which demonstrates that she is deprived of human kindness and compassion for the care of her own family members. In fact, the only inescapable conclusion that a reasonable person could make is that Lori and Alex intended to cause harm to me and my baby. Lori never paid one penny towards the care and support for me or my baby during the entire relationship. She is void of any consciousness of right or wrong and lacks any virtue of good character. Lori's lifestyle is similar to pathological liar and sociopath. She sees no wrong in using people for any purpose to get gain for her own needs and ambitions. She is unemployed and unskilled and has no marketable skills. She lacks integrity or any desire to accomplish or live a worthwhile or productive life. My family has been patient and kind to her and have offered her help and made gifts to her to see if she could get the message and example of human kindness. However, Lori is void of any light and intelligence to know the difference between right or wrong. I may never know the pain and suffering these family and friends have felt over the past year and a half, but it's evident to see how strong they all are. Our TCO family would like to offer our love, prayers, and condolences to you all. Sending love and light during this difficult time, 
and thank you for allowing us to share your stories. Case updates for the week of September 13, 2020. The prosecution involved in Chad Daybell's case filed a motion on September 9, 2020 to join Chad's case with Lori's. That Friday, September 11th, Chad's attorney, John Pryor, objected to the motion, stating that increased media coverage would make it so that Chad would be unable to have a fair trial in eastern Idaho. Recall John Pryor motion to dismiss the charges against Chad. However, there's also a motion by state to combine Chad and Lori's cases that will be heard in court on October 29th. The change of venue motion will be heard on November 24th. Lastly, our final episode will honor the lives of Tylee and JJ, and we are asking our listeners to send us letters to the children or provide voice messages that will be played in the episode. We would also like to extend this to any family or friends of the children who want to share their sentiments or memorable stories about JJ and Tylee. More information will be posted this weekend on our social media pages. To keep up with all of the latest news on this case, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Chosen Ones Podcast or on Twitter at The Chosen One Pod. Please be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe and catch our season finale, Dear Angels, on October 2nd. Until then, I am your host, Celine Beth Caldron, and as always, remember the victims and embrace the survivors. This is a Conveyor Media production, host Celine Beth Caldron, executive producers Colin Whelan and Rebecca Sermons, writer Celine Beth Caldron, writing assistant Jessica Barton, sound editor Jacques B, and music by Mickey O'Brien.